found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so that's the church in Sardis, and it follows the pattern that we've seen in all the churches, basically, uh, that they're, they're doing a few things okay, although there's not much too good about this one. Um, but there's an area of correction and an opportunity to change. And that's, that's important. There's always in these churches an opportunity to repent, to course correct, which is so true to the good news of Jesus, to the gospel message. Now, we've talked a little bit about the geography of each of these churches and anybody study geography here? Any geography students? No, not tonight. We have some. I think Vivek is a geography. Uh, Geologist. Okay, well, not the same. Pretty close. Uh, the geography here is pretty important, uh, and we actually know a lot about Sardis. Sardis was in an area, it was in a cliff, it was kind of high, and it was, it was easily protected. So it was a really good location for a city, and... Um, there was only one access route to the city, so you could, when you only have one way in, you can defend it pretty well. So they had this as a great advantage, and because there was no threat of attack, they didn't have to sink a lot of money into a military. I'm going to just get into a little, a little bit of uh, politics. When a country has to spend a lot of money for a military, they don't have money for other things. But this country didn't have to do that, because... They didn't need a big military, so they could use their money, their resources on themselves in other ways. I mean, think, let your mind think about that. Maybe they had great social services, maybe great health care. I mean, that's kind of scary to think what they had back in those days. But they were able to use their resources on their own, which made them um, a pretty stable and prosperous economy. Now, you get a different kind of situation when you get to a place where there is prosperity. Uh, there's a different mindset. And we know that a lot of the, the people here, there was a textile industry in Sardis, a lot of people involved with that, which is why you see the imagery of a garment that is soiled and one that is white. So those analogies would have really made sense to the people of Sardis because their economy revolved around the textile industry. We also know that a lot of the people in the church here had quit living as Christians. Now, why would you think that people in the church without a lot of persecution, there's not any mention of persecution in this passage, not financial hardship in this passage. In fact, we know they were doing okay. Why would Christians in that kind of environment be dropping out of the faith? Why does that happen? Interesting, huh? Well, I think it has to do 
with the fact that sometimes when people get comfortable, that sometimes when, when people reach a certain level of success, that maybe they feel like they don't need God so much. It's sad. It's a sad story. But I've met a lot of people who, who've made it, who've been working their, their way up the ladder of success, and they, they've reached a point in their life where they don't feel like they need God so much. If they get sick, they have health insurance. If they, they want to buy something extra, they just work overtime or find another job. Or I know people who have three jobs or four. If they, if they get tired of working all these jobs, then they just take a vacation. And they, they can do all these things. And so they don't feel like they need God so much. They don't, so they don't give God much of their lives, their devotion, their focus. The problem is, they never really find authentic joy because they have enough resources to temporarily numb the pain. You see the difference? They don't find real joy, they find false joy, a pseudo joy. And so, that's why Revelation says that they look alive, but really, they're pretty much dead. In short, they have settled for a mediocre kind of life. And this is my charge to us tonight, is well, I don't want anybody to settle for a mediocre, we're going to probably talk more about lukewarmness, but a mediocre kind of life. Jesus says that this kind of faith is incomplete. Revelation says in verse 2, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. In other words, he says, somewhere in the journey you've, you've stopped moving. You've grown comfortable where you are. You've stopped producing fruit. You have stopped growing toward maturity. You've stepped out of the race that really matters. We kind of have a race theme tonight because I, I like to think of, of the Christian life a little bit like a race. Now, if we're honest, we'll admit that under certain circumstances, it's easy. It's easier to step out of the Christian race, to feel defeated, to want to quit. Uh, it's easy sometimes when there's a security about things, when, when the future looks pretty good, if we feel like we got things under control in our lives, uh, we have enough money, enough good relationships, enough whatever, that we're honest, if we're honest, we'll admit there are times we settle for something short of what God wants us to have. One pastor makes the analogy of what happens at a particular mountain climbing resort in the Swiss Alps. So apparently there's a, a, an amazing place there where mountain climbers can go and see some spectacular things. I've never been to the Swiss Alps, but I hear that. Apparently at this particular resort, there, every morning there's a group of hikers and they, they meet with their guide and the guide gives them a pep talk about making it up to the top of the mountain. And they're gonna, they're gonna see some things. They're gonna have to work hard, but if they get to the top, it's gonna be worth it. So he gives them a pep talk. He gives them some coaching. He gives them some instructions. And then they take off and, and they launch. Uh, they can hardly wait to get to the slopes and celebrate their victory. So they begin the journey and they hike for several hours before they take a break. About halfway up the mountain, the, the weary hikers, they stumble into a quaint little restaurant. It's lunchtime, right? 
And they, they get in there and they, they peel off their clothing. You think about a day like today, you're, you know, walking around with a heavy coat. They, they peel off their, their coats, their gear. They plop next to a fireplace. They have a cappuccino, a hot chocolate, a coffee, a tea. And, and with the mountain at their backdrop and the, the hikers, they look at the warm, cozy, picturesque setting. And interestingly enough, after their bellies are full and comfortable, many of them choose to stay right there. Statistically, they say that less than half of the hikers who meant to go all the way to the top, once they get to that restaurant, they less than half actually make it to the top. They settle. They settle for halfway. It's not because they aren't able or because the climb is too difficult. The reluctance comes simply because they are satisfied with making it halfway. They lose their drive to excel, to explore new horizons, to experience victories. They, they've tasted a small bit of success and they think, that's good enough. It's sad, isn't it? Isn't that a sad story? Sometimes, though, we do the same thing in the Christian life. We, we start with the best intentions. We have moments of conviction and we're on fire and we want to go. We're fired up, but over time we, we can get complacent. We can get comfortable. And Jesus says, this kind of spirituality is dead. It has the appearance of life, but there's no life in it. Now, thankfully... They're indicators of this. So if, if, if I were a physician, if they're a physician, if some of you are studying to be physicians, uh, you'll like this because there's always indications of your health, isn't there? So in terms of spiritual health, if you are headed towards spiritual apathy, there's indicators. First of all, there's a heart indicator. Take note of this. Spiritual death will happen if your heart stops beating. No surprise there. When you stop feeling a passion for God's work and wanting to be with Him, when you no longer feel the awesome presence of His work, when you stop craving His work, then your heart stops beating. Your spiritual heart for God stops beating. When this happens, there's no longer a love for people because when you stop affectionately loving God, you stop affectionately loving people because we can only love people if we love God. And since God uses, and when we, we stop loving people, we begin to pull away from community, the community that encourages us in our relationship with Christ. And we start to, to be alone. And, and when we pull away from community, uh, then we see our heart just gets colder and colder. It's a little bit like the story of a, an older couple and the man was driving one day and his, his wife uh, was in, he was in the driver's seat and his wife was in the passenger's seat. She says, you know, we've grown so distant in our relationship over the years. She says, remember when, when we were young, we would sit right next to each other and drive. And the husband says, yeah, I remember that and, and I've been here, I haven't moved the whole time. Who moved? The wife had moved further. <laughs> you see, we, we have a tendency to move. We can move away from God. And we ask the question, who moved? It's not God. It's us. The first indicator is what I call a heart indicator. The second indicator is a mind indicator. Brain death is another symptom of pulling away. It's when you stop wanting to know more about God. 
when all of a sudden there's not enough time in your schedule to study the Word of God, it means your, your mind is losing its desire to think and study the deep truths of God. And God made our minds so that we would learn and study His way. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.10, he shares a hope for the church. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. God's plan for our lives is that we would always be growing in the knowledge and ways of the Lord. When a person no longer hopes, no longer wants to see what God has in the future, spiritual apathy has taken over. We have a heart indicator, a mind indicator, and of course a strength indicator. One of the things that doctors will do to assess your health is uh, they do what they call a stress test. Have you, have you heard of that, a stress test? Um, it's really popular back in the States for sure, but when they want to find out what's going on, they take you into the, the office and they have a treadmill. And they, they put you on that treadmill. You think, what kind of test is this? And they hook you up to an electrocardiogram, a heart rate monitor, a blood pressure monitor, and all these cords and everything. And, and what they want to do is they want to measure how your body responds to a little bit of stress. And so that if you have a lot of stress, they'll know what will happen. So they call it a stress test. And so they, they'll see what happens. The same is true spiritually. If you find yourself giving in to the same temptation again and again, uh, a sin issue in your life, if there's something you don't want to acknowledge or deal with, a broken relationship you don't really want to fix, uh, if you no longer feel conviction, then it's an indication you don't have strength and spiritual apathy has taken over. And the real danger of, of these things, of, of, of a heart issue, a mind issue, a strength issue, is, is that we open ourselves up to the judgment of God. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 3. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, this is not necessarily an indication of the end of time, of the second coming. This is a here and now for them, or here and now for us kind of message. And so that's really probably not the way we want to meet God. But yet in this passage, and this is my favorite part about it, is there is an opportunity for repentance. It's opportunity to come back, to breathe life into us once again, to get our heart rate back up, our mind sharp, and our strength on par. That's what we need. Jesus is still reaching out to us. He says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. You see, uh, it's an indication here, first, the book of life, which is this, this is kind of our picture, uh, and Jesus says this is the, the book, that, it, that this is the life of eternity, eternal life, and that, that if we, we're faithful, we're victorious in him, and the name, our name will be there. And it's significant that he uses our name and, and that it, Revelation uses the word name because, because God is not calling to us in a generic way. He calls to us and he knows each of us by our names. Now I try, you should laugh at me because I try to get names right. And our group tonight, even tonight, but our group is always represented by people from all over the world 
And I know I have probably slaughtered everybody's name uh, because I'm not very good, but I want to get names right. The good thing about Jesus and our Heavenly Father is He knows our names. He, he knows how, not only how to say them right, but how they should be said. And He knows our names. That's important. And Jesus wants us to be victorious. He really wants you to experience the fullness of life. He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to, to make it all the way to the top of the mountain. Don't stop halfway. He wants you to finish the race. I'm not talking about the snowball race <laughs> either. The race of life. You see, I've done a little running over the years. I love racing things and running images. because, In fact, even today I went out and I had to just run into snow because I, I wanted to do that. But in, in when I was in school and, and co college and cross country, I, I competed in what they, what they call track and field. And uh, my favorite race was the 1600 meter run. And um, it's about the equivalent of an English mile, but 1600 meters. And uh, in most tracks, there are four laps that you run around. Now, do you know there's a strategy to that race? You do not just go out and run those four laps. You have to know that when you take off, there's the first lap. And in the first lap, you're going to feel the strongest, but you have to be careful because you cannot use all of your energy on the first lap. Then you get to the second lap when you're starting to feel tired and you're breathing heavy. Again, you still have to think smart and you, you run the second rate, the second lap. You have to, to, to check your speed, check your strength. And then you get to the fourth lap and the fourth lap, that's all you got left, right? You only got one lap left and so you give it all you got. I left out a lap, didn't I? Yeah. It's the third lap. If you know anything about that race, you know the third lap is the make or break lap of the race because that's the most difficult because you are tired, you've already run two laps and the end, it's not even close yet. So if you are tempted to drop out of the race or pull back or be lazy, it's going to be in the third lap. So I think about the third lap challenges in Christian living. What, are the, what is the third lap challenge for you? The third lap is the place where we are most tempted to drop out of the race. Maybe you're tired. You've been at it. You've been working hard and, and you just don't feel like you can make it. Or, or maybe you've settled for, for false comforts. Maybe you've done well enough and it's like, okay, I can, I can live with this. It's, it's the third lap challenge for you. Whatever it is, whatever the third lap challenge is for you, let me encourage you to keep running and keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't drop out with a third lap challenge. Don't do it. You have to know that in the third lap of life, whatever that is for you in this moment, your heavenly Father is cheering you on. He knows it's difficult. He knows your temptation. He's coaching you. He's, he's speaking your name the way it should actually sound because he knows you and he loves you.